If you've been paying attention, you've likely heard something about gut health and why zoning in on your gut health is so darn important. You need EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense. It's a three-in-one capsule that supports your digestive health and promotes gut barrier protection. I started taking EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense because I have a bloating problem, friends. Yes, I do. Inflammation is not my friend. Since taking one capsule a day on an empty stomach with water, I have noticed more energy, improved skin, and here's the big one, reduced bloating. Head to myeq.com and use code SUSTAINABLE for 15% off Equilibria's microbiome defense and so much more. That's myeq.com and use code SUSTAINABLE at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. Nothing nurtures the world above better than the soil below, and that's why I am so excited to introduce you to Coast of Maine. Coast of Maine is an organic soil brand that offers a full range of products designed to cover all of your garden and lawn needs. In years past, my vegetable garden, I neglected the soil and I didn't have much yield. If your soil lacks appropriate nutrients for success, your garden may not succeed. And so this year, I am so excited to cultivate the soil before planting the plants with Coast of Maine's organic products. Coast of Maine believes in nurturing relationships with local retailers, so next time you're at your local retailer, look for Coast of Maine products. Get growing. Visit coastofmaine.com to find a local retailer near you, coastofmaine.com. I'm Stephanie Safarian, and this is episode 70. You are listening to the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast, a show about living simply and sustainably with your family. Here's your host, Stephanie Safarian. Hello there and welcome back. Did you know the average American kitchen has 1,019 items? Holy moly, that's just in the kitchen. Today we are dabbling in the concepts of minimalist kitchens as well as minimalist cooking. My guest this week is Mirle Guerra-Graf. She is a simplicity wellness coach who's on a mission to simplify healthy and natural living. Now, we are just dabbling in these concepts today. And a quick reminder that I created an online course, It's My Baby, all about minimalist and zero-waste kitchens. It does a deep dive into all the topics Mirle and I cover today and so much more. The course is not open currently, but if you want to be the first to know when it does open again, I'll have a link in the show notes this week for you to check out. Speaking of show notes, you can find this week's show notes at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 070, M-A-M-A minimalist.com forward slash 070. And very quickly, a note on the sound quality of today's episode. If you hear a few big booms during my chat with Mirle, that's because we happen to record in the middle of a gigantic thunderstorm. So it's not your imagination. You are hearing a bit of thunder. We just roll with the punches over here on this podcast. <laughs> or maybe I should say we roll with the thunder. Anyway, enjoy the interview. 
Mirle, thank you so much for joining me. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. And how are you? I'm great. Nobody ever asks me how I'm doing. Thank you so much for asking. I am great. (laughs) Why don't we start with you telling us who you are, what you do, and how you got into minimalist kitchens and healthy eating. So my name is Mirle Garagraf, and I'm all about like healthy simplicity, and I like to help women simplify their nutrition and healthy living. I just believe that that's going to eliminate stress and boost their wellness so that you can have a beautiful, peaceful life. And I guess the way it kind of happened was, I'm going to try and make this short, but about 10 years ago, I visited my grandparents, and my grandparents, you know, we're in their like eight, late 80s, and they lived in a two-bedroom apartment, and it was probably the most serene, beautiful, clean apartment I've ever been, um, especially because they were older. And, you know, over the time, you collect a lot, and their apartment was, um, it didn't have a lot, but everything they had was meaningful and special. And I always carried that feeling with me, and I've always tried to recreate that. I do like to cook a lot, and Again, I, I kind of base it off of the way my grandma liked to cook at home and she would, all of the meals were homemade. And I just like to combine those two things because it feels, it makes this beautiful, like warm, peaceful home that everyone wants to be at. It's beautiful that that visit has stayed with you throughout the years. It's funny how grandparents have that impact on us. But really diving right into the kitchen, I'm curious, what are just the pointless kitchen gadgets that your grandparents didn't have and you as an adult in your own home do not have? So I think the pointless ones are like the fun gadgets, I I guess you can call them. That's what I'm going to call them. These are the gadgets that do one thing but they're kind of fun and sparkling. So like they only chop onions or they only, you know, cut an avocado perfectly or or they cut an egg perfectly. And that's the, the only thing they do. And these little fun gadgets can really add up. They're very bulky. The clutter just starts adding up. And then at the end of the day, even though like that fun gadget that helps you cut the egg a lot faster, you know, maybe you use it a lot. Maybe you don't. Maybe it's hidden and Sometimes we'll just go back to the knife because <laughs> the knife is just more efficient. It's faster. We know what the knife is meant for. And so those gadgets that seem like they're going to help us save time, I, I sometimes do question if they're really going to help us save time or if they're really just going to make us spend more money. Right. Two gadgets come to mind. One is not so popular anymore, but the corn on the cob cobber where it, you know, it was basically just a circular knife that would take the corn off the cob. A knife works just as well for for that purpose. And a second gadget would be, I know some people are going to gasp when they hear this, but the garlic mincer. Yes, it minces garlic so fast, but I always find myself wondering how much time am I wasting on the back end cleaning all the little pieces of garlic out of it. So I have one, but I almost never use it simply because of that cleaning factor. So the kitchen is obviously a very important room. It's the heart of the home. It's in many homes, the place where people gather and clutter just seems to fall and stay. And so when decluttering the kitchen, where would somebody even start? 
The best place to start is probably with the cups and the mugs because at least in my experience, every home I go to, everyone has all kinds of different mugs, collectibles, but eventually you run out of room. And now, you know, like I went to Target this past week and I saw mugs that were, um, they're just so cute and pretty and they have like these beautiful inspiring messages. And I didn't buy any because I'm really working on not adding to the clutter. But I can definitely see why people continue to buy these mugs. It's because they're just pretty, they're inspiring, but we end up using the same mug anyway. I would definitely start there. Hmm. Mugs are often a gift, right? Like if you don't know what to get somebody, it's mugs, scarves, these generic items. So I can totally understand that the mug shelf in your home really quickly becomes overflowing. And you're so right. We just really gravitate to our favorite mug, just like we gravitate to our favorite sweatshirt, right? We 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 have 20 mugs, but if we're only using one, what is the purpose of the other 19? But when we're talking about the essentials in our kitchen, what are the essentials in your kitchen? So we really only have, I guess you could say three appliances. One is the toaster, which we use in the morning and sometimes maybe like two or three times a week. But um, the other one is our uh, our Vitamix. We use that at least a good five times a day. I, I'll make a smoothie for myself, for my girls, and then my husband makes himself a smoothie, and then he'll make another one in the evening, in the afternoon, and then I make another one in the afternoon, and then we make soups there. You can make sauces. We travel with it. Wherever we go, that is coming with us. So that's definitely an essential for our, our family. We do have one more that's kind of cool uh, uh, appliance. Um, it's an almond milk maker and you just put almonds in there and it grinds them until they're kind of almost on the almond butter, not so much almond butter, but almost. And then you add water and it makes your almond milk. And so we use that about once a week to make our almond milk and you can also make almond butter and other fun dips. That's interesting. One person's essential gadget is a frivolous item to somebody else. You know, just the other day I was talking to somebody about how much I love, love, love my crock pot. And the person I was talking to just couldn't, couldn't understand. But for me, when I'm decluttering, I would absolutely never get rid of my crock pot. But I read somewhere and I wish I remember where so I could cite it, but the general rule when it comes to decluttering the kitchen is if you have an appliance or appliances that you haven't used in the last six months, it's time to perhaps pass it along. And when I read that, I just thought, oh my goodness, I'm holding on to so many appliances that we only use uh, once a year. Thinking about like the waffle iron that comes out only on real special occasions, usually morning holidays, and it takes up a lot of room. So it makes me think about what else I could do with the space that that and all the other random appliances that we received as gifts for our wedding, which was, you know, so thoughtful, but actually not necessary. I would love to switch gears and talk to you about food because I know you're very interested in nutrition and health. My first question is really pressing as the person who's in charge of cooking meals for her family. What foods should I and all of us just always have in our kitchens on hand at all times? Ooh, that's a really good question. 
I think it also depends on like what you, I, I like to go back to what you grew up eating. For me, um, we ate, you know, rice and beans a lot. I, I always have rice and beans at home, you know. Um, I have switched over to, to brown rice. I found a brown rice that I like. And I only uh, switched over to it because I noticed that it fills me up faster. Uh, so I always have rice, beans. Uh, I'll have tomatoes because I, I just absolutely love tomatoes. And I'll have canned tomatoes because most of my soups are just tomato-based soups. And that's just because I like that. You know, And then we'll have like some pastas, like some dried pastas as well. Definitely look and see like what you eat more commonly. And then always have those foods at home. And rice, beans, dried pasta, those are all items that will keep in your pantry nearly forever. What I love about your answer is that you're also mentioning items that don't go bad. You don't have to stress about them expiring before you eat them. So I personally would add lentils. We have dried split peas and then canned items too. As long as the can hasn't changed shape, you can just go ahead and ignore that expiration date. So I guess I'd love to flip that question that I just asked you on its head and ask you, what is kind of frivolous and what what should we not keep on hand? So I would say, and this is just because I experimented so much, you know, um, you know, getting more into into health and, and becoming a health coach, I really experimented with a lot of ingredients. And you end up spending so much money on ingredients that are very expensive. And you're probably only going to use it for that one recipe or you're, you used it that one time, you didn't like it, and it just sits there. So you really want to be very mindful when you're exploring uh, different foods. I would definitely suggest that if you're going to try something new, to try it at a restaurant first, (laughs) see if you like it, and then see if you can incorporate that into your meal routine. That's how I would do it. Like if I could go back, I would definitely change a couple of things because I did buy, you know, those superfoods that everyone talked about. I remember purchasing spirulina, which is something that a lot of people talk about. I personally don't like it at all. Like I don't like the smell. It really, it really bothers me. So I spent money on it. It was very expensive and I couldn't, I didn't know what to do. Try it at a restaurant first is what I would suggest and see how you liked it. Mm. That makes me think about before children, when I was very adventurous in the kitchen, trying all these new recipes. And of course, all the recipes I chose had this one random ingredient that I, of course, never had on hand. I can't even think of one. Uh, actually, yes, I can because I still have it in my cabinet. It's like 12 years old. Umabashi plum vinegar. What is that? I don't remember the recipe I used it for, but I can tell you I never used it again. And so it sounds like you spend a lot of time in the kitchen. What would you say to people like the old me who like to try new things, but don't want to waste money and resources buying completely random ingredients that don't go with anything else that they normally cook? Right. That's a really good question. So I I would give two suggestions. My first one is, for example, I have the ingredient red wine vinegar. I only use it for one recipe, and that's gazpacho. But I eat gazpacho soup maybe every other week. So even though it's that one ingredient for only that soup, I eat it enough that I don't feel bad buying that one ingredient. If you don't eat that meal regularly, 
then I would suggest just swapping it out for something else. So I remember buying sesame seed oil because the, the recipe called for sesame seed oil. And I used it a couple times. And also, I, I didn't really like sesame seed oil, but I, I liked it sort of in, in, the, in the meal. Eventually, I just stopped buying it altogether. And for a recipe that calls for sesame seed oil, I just use avocado oil. I know it doesn't have the same flavor, but that's okay with me. It ta- you know, as long as the recipe ends up tasting good, that's really all that matters to my family and I. So I would just swap out the ingredient for something that you do use regularly. Yeah. And I would add that I feel as though Google is really great for those instances. I use Google all the time when on the fly, I didn't plan dinner appropriately. I find a recipe I want to cook, but of course I'm missing an ingredient. Just Google substitutions for X, Y, or Z. And most of the time you can find a more common substitution for that one ingredient you're missing. What do you say to people who argue that they just don't have time to cook healthy meals from scratch every day for their families? There are a couple of things I could say. I learned how to cook like this um, um, from scratch at home was really from watching my mom. My mom would come home from work and she'd make us a meal. And we were kind of, you know, picky eaters. We didn't like to eat meals, the same meal every single day. So she had to kind of, you know, improvise and, and put something together, which is how I do it at home. Um, I also don't cook big batches, I cook smaller meals. So like today, I put some spaghetti with, I had a salad for the entree. And then I had the uh, spaghetti and I, and I put that together. And then we'll, we have some leftovers. It's not enough. So I'll probably have the leftovers for lunch tomorrow. Also, it comes down to like putting it into practice. Today, I'm going to make this meal. It's going to take me about 30 minutes. And then you just kind of put it together. And and again, it's just cooking in small batches. However, for lunch, I cook at home for lunch now. I didn't do that when I was working. You know, now I'm a stay-at-home mom, so I'm able to do that. So, you know, I would definitely, if, if I was going back to work, I would definitely add the veggie sticks because you don't have to warm them up. And then, you know, either your, your wrap or your sandwich or your leftovers and not really worry about cooking for lunch. Hmm. So what is the bare minimum you think somebody needs to cook a week's worth of healthy meals for a family? That That is a really good question because I don't have a lot of pots and pans. Someone was talking about the amount that they had. They were trying to sell me a kit and it was a lot of pots and pans. And I, I was like, I think I only use like three of those regularly. I mean, I just use the soup pot. I'll use the frying pan and I use that for, you know, frying and also I'll make other things there. And then I, I have like a, a tortilla grill. And of course, I'll have like my little like pasta pot. That is about it. I really pretty much only use like four or five uh, different pots and, and that's it. And then it's funny that you asked me that because right now I was looking at like my knife block. I only use three of those knives and I'm really thinking that I'm going to get rid of that knife block because it's just taking up a lot of space on our counter. I only use three of them. That's all I need to use. Oh my gosh. I'm so happy you said that because... I actually got rid of mine. It was sitting there. It was an eyesore. And I kept all the knives. But you're right. I only use, I think, maybe three of them out of 10. And uh, so I just shoved them in a drawer. And now I don't have to look at the knife block. And I'm 
so much happier. <laughs> so do it. Go for it. One more pressing question is about cookbooks. I have, I'm not joking, probably 30 cookbooks. And again, I use <laughs> maybe four regularly tops. That might even be a generous number. I have like a recipe here or there from different cookbooks, but I definitely don't need the whole cookbook. And so I'm wondering, do you have any suggestions for decluttering my <laughs> my collection? Yeah. Um, I was actually just reading something where like five cookbooks is probably the most you should have. I have, I think, seven. And I use a couple of them definitely regularly. Like I always open them up. But another thing I learned was to just have a binder and just collect your favorite recipes and just put them in that binder. And then you don't have to buy like those cookbooks. I mean, cookbooks are so pretty. So I definitely understand why they're so tempting to purchase. But I mean, you know, Pinterest has a lot of great free recipes on there that you can always just pin or print and put them in like, you know, uh, a cookbook, uh, a recipe binder, I mean. And I would definitely keep the ones that I use regularly and then um, maybe just write down the recipes of the other cookbooks that you don't use regularly, but you really like that one recipe. You can always sell your cookbooks. There's a, a great website. It's called like Sell Your Books Online. And you can always like you, you type in the, is it the ISBN number? And they will um, give you a little bit of money back so that you don't have to feel so guilty if you're going to like toss them or donate them. You can actually like get a little money back for your for your books or any other books that you are trying to get rid of. Mm. You mentioned Pinterest and I use it in the way you suggested to find recipes, but I also use it to store and categorize my own recipes. In my Facebook group, a listener gave me this really awesome tip, and thank you to you if you are listening. You just make private boards for different ingredients or staples and take a picture of your recipe, put it in your private board, and as long as you have the app, you have those recipes when you're at the grocery store, and that is key for me so I don't have to keep running back for X, Y, and Z ingredients. But Pinterest, it's free. You don't need to pay for a uh, recipe keeper service, and uh, it's it's genius. So thank you to that um, listener. Mirle, I know you just wrote a book. Where can listeners find you online and learn more about you? The name of my book is Meal Makeover Bootcamp, and it um, definitely goes over really like what we talked about. I do talk about simplifying your kitchen. Uh, and then I also talk about how to put simple meals together. So you can find it on Amazon and just type in Meal Makeover Bootcamp and you'll find it there. My website, it's just healthysimplicity.com and then Instagram, it's like healthy.simplicity. I will link to all of that in the show notes for anybody who wants to check you out. And thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your minimalist kitchen tips. Thank you so much for letting me be on here. I'm really, really happy. Thank you so much. I so hope you enjoyed that interview with Mirle Guerra-Graf. For anyone interested, I've linked to an article in this week's show notes by professional chef and former New York Times columnist Mark Bittman. The article outlines the 16 essential gadgets a kitchen needs to perform all kitchen duties. That's right, folks. Professional chefs argue we only need 16 items, 
not 1019. So if this episode motivated you to get to work in your own kitchen, I highly suggest you check out the article I've linked to in the show notes for additional inspiration. You can find it at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 070. On next week's show, we are discussing what conscious consumerism actually looks like for real people. I will see you then. Take care.